I want to talk to you about finishing strong, finishing strong. Maybe you stumbled, maybe you haven't had a good year. It's not how you start more than how you finish. A lot of people started off pretty bad, but finished well. And so you want to finish strong. So how do you become a world-class Christian, world-class athlete, world-class uh, attorney, whatever it may be. Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from bad people so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Well, we're going to talk about a characteristic. There are several, but one characteristic primarily of people who become world-class. You know, world-class people have focus. To become world-class at anything, you got to be focused on what you're trying to accomplish. And here's the challenge. You can't focus on more than one thing at a time. You can do five things sloppy, or you can do one thing with excellence. I have a golden doodle. If anybody is in need of a dog, it's free. But it's a little over a year old. I guess my wife keeps telling me it's a puppy. But when we try to train that dog to retrieve and bring back or whatever, no matter what it is, one sound, one bird, one leaf goes, that dog's focus is gone in one second. Just some kid down the street makes a noise, it breaks the whole focus. Can't teach the dog anything. Can't it, all I say, Lily, focus, focus, focus. I'm not out here to breathe this cedar because I'm enjoying it. I'm out here with purpose, and you can't focus to hang in there with me. So I feel better having said that, all right? Yeah, I told, that, that makes me want to uh, have Cindy go visit a relative somewhere, and I, the dog ran off. I don't know what happened to that dog. I've been grieving since you've been gone. Have you ever noticed world-class athletes focus on one thing? One thing. They might be entered in more than one event, but those events are similar. It's not unusual to see an athlete entered in a 100-meter and a 200-meter race because he's focused on sprinting. Both are sprinting. There's nothing strange about uh, a swimmer entering the butterfly and the backstroke because they're focused on swimming. But it would be highly unusual and probably has never happened to see some wrestler entered in gymnastics or a swimmer entered into the shot put. Now, why doesn't that happen? Because they're different sporting events and require different training regiments, using different muscles. World-class athletes understand they can't focus on two exact opposite things at the same time, so they choose one to focus on. You know, let's say you're good at uh, three things. You're really good, better than average at all three. And I was asked this question in a, in a session once at a, at a gym by a father whose son was uh, being drafted, and then we had a question and answer session in new members, and somebody says, well, what if you're good at several things? How do you pick the right thing? 
I said, you could be good at three things or four things. You could be better than average in all of them, but you're going to love one more than the other. That's the one you pick. The same is true with you and me. You can't focus on doing more than one thing and expect to do anything with great excellence. Now, you can do other things, but one of them has to be your primary focus. That's it. So in order to be world-class, you have to be focused on growing spiritually. Are you more focused on your physical workout or your spiritual workout? Being here today is part of your spiritual routine and workout. That's good for you. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Are you more focused on your physical diet, which probably didn't exist the last five days? Somebody Google liposuction, see if we can get a good deal. See, what should my focus be on, my physical diet or my spiritual diet? They're both important, but my main focus better be spiritual. Here's what St. Paul said, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for everything holding promise of both the present life and the life to come. That's in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. Spiritual training is one of the greatest importance uh, to a believer, and it should be the focus of my life. In fact, it has to be if I want to be world-class in my spiritual life. Now, let's go back to Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, if you look at a, at a Bible, and let's see how this issue of focus plays out in our lives. Number one, Focus on the finish. Focus on the finish. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Whatever God starts, He finishes. Who for the joy <coughs> set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He had vision of the future that was big enough to allow Him to endure the hardship and the shame of what he had to go through to redeem you and I. By fixing our eyes on Jesus, we're fixing our eyes on the finish the way a sprinter does. The King James says, the author and finisher of our faith. So he endured the cross, and when he had finished his work, he sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. Now, why did Jesus endure the cross? Because he was focused on the joy in front of him, that vision, like an Olympic sprinter is focused on the finish line before him, he was focused on the joy he would receive when he successfully provided a way of salvation for everybody who would believe in him. He was focused on the joy that would be his when he returned to heaven to tell his father, mission accomplished. Can you imagine the consequences if Jesus had gotten distracted? You know, let me pause a minute. Remember when the devil came and tempted him, he tried to get him off his mission. He says, well, look, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms, you know, uh, turn these stones into bread. You know, it, I think we talked about it last year in a message, you, you are what you do, you are what you have, you are what people think of you. And the enemy threw all three of those at Jesus in the desert in a weakened condition to distract his focus from his assignment. And Jesus just kept saying, get behind me, get behind me totally focused on our redemption. So what could be more tragic than a world full of people needing saving and have no Savior? What are the consequences of you being distracted from your God-given purpose in life or being distracted from the finish line? Henry Ford wrote this, a weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at once. It scatters our effort, destroys our direction. The United States women's softball team won the gold medal in Atlanta 
in the Atlanta Olympics in 1996. They lost only one game. But from that loss came a remarkable story about the importance of focus. In the fifth inning against Australia, Danielle Tyler hit a home run over the center field fence. The American third baseman flew around those bases, pumped with adrenaline. Now, when she was greeted by a swarm of her teammates at home plate, she let all that excitement and joy distract her focus, and she didn't touch the base. When all the yelling subsided, the Australian team quietly appealed to the umpire, who dramatically called Tyler out. Rather than scoring a run after she blasted it over the fence for a home run, her team was called out. She was called out. And the lady slugger missed home plate. They, they lost one nothing because they went into overtime in the playing of the game, and they lost their momentum, and Australia was able to get one run. They had to do extra innings. So it ended up 2-1, to one, and the U.S. team took their only loss of the Olympics solely due to a lack of focus. Now, just like Danielle Tyler couldn't focus on celebrating with teammates and play the game at the same time, so we can't focus on two things at the same time and be successful at anything. Home plate was her finish line. She didn't focus on it. Look at what Paul wrote to the Philippians. This is, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. What's Paul saying? He says, I want to find out why Jesus saved me. What's my purpose in life? Brothers, I don't consider myself to take a hold of it yet, but one thing I do, that's focus, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead. Have you had a loss, a setback, a tragedy? Have you had a delay? Get over it. Put it behind you, forgetting what's behind, and press on towards the finish line to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians chapter 3 beginning in verse 12. We all get sitbacks. We all get depressed. We all get disappointments the way, well, I didn't think it was going to work out that way. There, There ought to be a lot of stuff behind you. Quit dragging what's behind you with you. Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind. Be a good forgetter. Get over it. I think the Eagles have a great rock and roll song called Get Over It. You know, it, 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 okay, it's a, little, it's a little crude, but it's absolutely true. And I believe every word of it, yeah, even a bad word in there, is, ought to be told to people in church sometimes. You know, you blame everybody from the government to a teacher to uh, somebody else for your lousy life, and you won't take responsibility for it. Don Henley says, get over it. You know, my, my daddy's too thin, my mama's too fat, get over it. He said, I'd like to find your inner child and kick. If Jesus Christ needed to focus on finishing, if St. Paul needed to focus on finishing, you and I need to be focused on finishing. Where's your focus? See? Don't, don't get, let your focus get broken by a disappointment, by a sin, by a setback you've had, by some tragedy. Don't let it break your focus. Keep that focus in front of you. Keep your eyes centered on it. So what is stealing your attention this morning? Where is your focus? History has shown us the most celebrated champions encountered heartbreaking obstacles before they became champions. They were winners because they refused to become discouraged by their defeat. And everybody has a defeat. 
Too many people quit on the one-yard line. They give up in the last minute of the game. Cowboys give up before it starts, but, (laughs) you know. A lot of games can actually be won in the last part of the game. Proverbs 24, verse 16, though the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up eight. And that's the secret of winning. Winning is not get, never getting knocked down. It's getting up one more time when you do get knocked down. Get up. Get back up and get in the race. You're not whipped until you think you are. And if you think you are, you are. And if you think you can't, you won't and you can't. Terry Fox lost his right leg to cancer. It was amputated to the knee. Terry embarked on a cross-Canada run he called a marathon of hope back in 1980 to raise money for cancer research. He shuffled and hopped in a running style that took him 24 miles a day. That's almost a 26-mile marathon every single day on an artificial leg. Terry Fox managed to run for 143 days. He covered more than 3,300 miles from St. John's, Newfoundland to Thunder Bay, where he was forced to abandon the run because doctors found cancer now in his lungs. Terry died a few months later, but his persistence left a legacy. Annual Terry Fox runs are held in Canada and other parts of the world, and to date, they've raised over $350 million for cancer research. When Terry was asked how he pushed himself to keep going over 3,000 miles on an artificial leg with cancer in his lungs, he said, I just kept running to the next telephone pole. And when I got so tired I thought I'd fall down, I looked at the next telephone pole, and I ran to that pole. Folks, it's always too soon to quit. Focus on finishing. Take it a day at a time if you have to. If you're in an addiction, they will try to teach you to just take it one day at a time. If that's too much, one hour at a time. Just little by little by little. Life by the yard is hard. Life by the inch is a cinch. Don't try to set it out for a year. Just take it day by day and press on to the next day. I'll live this day. I'll get through it. Then face tomorrow. Don't try to live tomorrow today. Just focus. Take it little by little. Number two, run to win. Focus on the finish, run to win. Hebrews 12, 3, consider him, think about him, imitate him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Now here we're told to consider Jesus. Now what's that got to do with running to win? Well, everything. The Greek word for consider is an accounting term. And it carries the idea of taking something into your account. We are to take into account what the author has just told us about Jesus, that he endured the cross, that he despised the shame, that he finished the race marked out for him, and that he was then seated in victory at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So we're told to take it into consideration he didn't have a cakewalk to victory. It wasn't easy. He faced opposition but he ran to win. I hope you're not living just to live. I'm, I'm not like a boxer just punching the air, Paul says. No, I'm running to win this thing. When Tiger Woods was at his, his peak in golf, they interviewed him, and he says, well, I don't always win, but I always expect to win. That's a good thought. What do you expect? Well, I always expect to lose. Well, you will. 
Why not expect to win? Expect that breakthrough. Expect that suddenly. Your expectation, see? The atmosphere uh, of expectation is the breeding ground for a miracle. So Jesus is held up as a model for us to follow, just like Peter said in the verse I quoted a few moments ago. We know it won't be easy. It's not a cakewalk. But Jesus faced and overcame opposition just the way we do. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, mess, setbacks. He says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Could an athlete, you ask me, could an athlete be world-class if he won an Olympic event because nobody else got in the race? Or you won the beauty contest in San Antonio because no other girl got in it? I mean, you're thinking, well, that's dumb. Yeah, it is dumb. How can you be an overcomer with nothing to overcome? We are more than conquerors. Well, baby, step up. You're going to have to conquer something. Maybe your flesh. It may be the enemy. It may be your feelings. It may be a loss or a setback. This is not for weak people. Christianity is not a slimy fish emblem on a sticker, on a car. Dear God, it's, it's, it's life and death. It's a struggle. It's, it's, not, it's not a hundred-yard dash. It's a 26-million-mile marathon till you die. World-class status comes from facing opposition and overcoming it just like Jesus did. Moses was slow of speech. God had to give him somebody to speak for him. Obviously, he wasn't married at the time. <laughs> Moses had a temper problem. He killed an Egyptian in a rage of anger. He even struck the rock when God had told him, speak to it. And he did it in anger. And God refused to allow Moses to enter the promised land because of his temper problem. You better deal with that anger. It could cost you a marriage, a job, a career, or part of your destiny. Look at the champions God has used to bless humanity. And look at the disabilities and adversities they all had to overcome cripple a young woman and make her paraplegic. And you've got Joni Erickson painting beautiful pictures with a paintbrush in her mouth. Strike him down with polio, strap him in a wheelchair. You've got President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who on a day after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, lifted America from the grip of fear by saying, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Deaf and a genius musical composer, you got Beethoven. Have a girl born deaf and blind. What's your problem? And you got Helen Keller, who graduated from the university with honors. Have them born black in a nation filled with racial discrimination. You've got Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, Martin Luther King Jr., Rosa Parks, and a host of others. See, Christ didn't come to earth to do away with suffering. He didn't come to explain difficulty. He came to make the impossible possible. He came to be a burden bearer, to make a way maker, you know. He came to prove nothing is impossible to those who believe. He came to say, regardless of your adversity, regardless of your disappointment, regardless of your birth, regardless of your family, regardless of what race you're in, you can be a world-class champion. The choice is always yours. I give you the power to use my name. Whatsoever you ask in my name in faith believing, I'll do it. When Jean-Claude Keeley made the French national ski team in the early 60s, he was prepared to work harder than anybody else to be the best. And at the crack of dawn, he would run up the slopes with his skis on, 
unbelievable grueling activity. In the evening, he'd lift weights, run sprints, anything to get an edge. But he noticed other team members were doing the same thing, working just as hard, just as long as he was. So he said that he realized instinctively that just training harder wasn't going to be enough. Keeley then began challenging basic theories of racing technique. Each week, he would try something different to see if he could find a better, faster way down the mountain. Wouldn't that be interesting for a Christian? Is there a better, faster way to do what you're doing? Wouldn't that be nice in business, had that attitude? Yeah, creativity is almost non-existent in the church. Boy, once it's eternal life is anything the church starts, they can't seem to get over it when it no longer serves a purpose when there is a better way. You know, his experiments resulted in a new skiing style that was exactly opposite of accepted techniques in his day. I used to watch him on TV, black and white TV, and last night in our Saturday service, Bill Sitter, who's an avid golfer, said, Rick, I stood on the slope when Jean-Claude Keeley came by. I was there. I saw it. Well, his technique involved skiing with his legs slightly apart instead of together for better balance and sitting back on the skis, not forward, when he came to a tight turn. He also then used the ski poles in an unorthodox manner to propel himself with more speed, and the explosive new style cut his racing times dramatically. In 1966 and 1967, he captured every major skiing trophy available. The next year, he won three gold medals in the Winter Olympics, a record in ski racing that's never been topped. Keeley learned an important secret shared by all creative people. Innovation does not require genius, just a willingness to question the way things have always been done. Well, that's the way we've always done it. That'll kill you. That'll kill you. I mean, church today isn't like church that my grandparents took me to. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Mercy me. Anybody but me remember some of that old, I want to go back to the good old days. There wasn't nothing good about it, all right? We're living in the best days. If you're going to run to become a world-class person, believer spiritually, you're going to have to develop a way of living exactly opposite of the accepted way of our culture. Just as Keeley's unorthodox style of using ski poles propelled him to Olympic gold three times, your unorthodox style of living in this crazy culture can prepare you and propel you to a spiritual gold medal. And number three, don't let up. Don't let up. Hebrews 12, verse 3, consider him Think about Jesus who endured all this opposition so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Let up. There's two Greek verbs translated as grow weary and lose heart. And they're of runners who relax and collapse after they pass the finish line. Now, there's nothing wrong with letting up once you cross the finish line and your race is over. But the implication is that readers of Hebrews, this is being written to them, are still alive and still in the race. And since they're still in the race, it'd be most inappropriate for them to let up now. now. Listen to this. I remember coaches telling our sprinters, 
imagine that the finish line is 10 yards further than where it actually is so that you won't be tempted to let up before you cross that finish line. A lot of times a racer will turn to check just a little bit of the head, a hundredth of a second, and lose the race. Or thought they had it made and started to let up before they crossed the line. So it's okay to collapse and fall down exhausted after you cross the finish line, but don't let up until you do. So it's really important to lean into this thing and not let up. You know, uh, when you go into a two-minute offense, uh, what makes it score more points overall, excluding the Cowboys, but the two-minute hurry-up offense is focus. Everybody says, we got two minutes. Everybody's focused on getting that ball over the goal line. And it usually results in a higher percentage of score versus average play because of focus, see? How do you know if you're still in the race, Rick? You're breathing. You're here. Your heart's still beating. You're still in the race. God still has more for you to do. Don't let up. These great people of the Bible would always say, my time has not yet come. When is my time? When you're dead. And you ain't dead. Well, most of you are not dead yet. So rather than letting up at the finish line, world-class sprinters throw themselves forward. I mean, they tear themselves up, sticking out their chest, doing everything possible to get across that finish line first. So in order to become world-class, you got to do the same thing. Rather than letting up, we need to throw ourselves forward in an attempt to do all that we can do for God while we have time. Golf immortal Arnold Palmer recalled a lesson about overconfidence. He said this, it was the final hole of the 1961 Masters Tournament. I had a one-stroke lead. I had just hit a great tee shot. I felt I was in great shape. As I approached the ball, I saw an old friend standing at the edge of the gallery. He motioned to me to come over, stuck out his hand, and said, congratulations, Arnold. I took his hand and shook it. But as soon as I did, I knew I had lost my focus. On my next two shots, I hit the ball in a sand trap and then put it over the edge of the green. I missed a putt and lost the Masters. He said, you don't forget a mistake like that. you got to learn from it and become determined. You will never, never do that again. And I haven't in 30 years since. So what could be more tragic than failing the Masters on the 18th hole of play except failing the Master? on the 18th hole of life. Don't let that sad story be yours. Never, never, never let up. See, are you tempted to think you've put in your time because you've retired and your race is over? That'll kill you. See, if you're still alive this morning, and obviously you are, there still remains another leg of this race to be run. Rather than letting up, go for it. Determine this morning that you're going to finish strong. That's it. You, you, you just might accomplish more for God than you ever thought possible in your last days than in your former days. Yeah. I close with this story. 1972, NASA launched the space probe, the little satellite called Pioneer 10. In that satellite, the primary mission was to reach Jupiter, photograph the planet, its moons, and beam that data back to Earth about their magnetic field, radiation belts, and the atmosphere. 
Scientists regarded it as a really gigantic, bold plan because at that time, no Earth satellite had ever gone beyond Mars, and they feared the asteroid belt would destroy the little satellite before it could even reach its target. But Pioneer 10 accomplished its mission and a whole lot more. Swinging past the giant planet of Jupiter, November 1973, Jupiter's immense gravity hurled Pioneer 10 at a higher rate of speed toward the edge of the solar system. At one billion miles from the sun, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. At two billion miles, it ran past Uranus. Neptune closed on them at three billion miles. Pluto at almost four billion miles. By 1997, 25 years after its launch, Pioneer 10 was more than six billion miles from the sun. And despite that immense distance, Pioneer 10 continued to beam back radio signals to scientists on Earth. Maybe the most remarkable thing is that those signals came from a tiny 8-watt transmitter which radiates as much power as a bedroom nightlight. And it takes more than nine hours to reach Earth. The little satellite that could was not qualified to do what it did. Engineers had designed it with a useful life of three years. But it kept going and going and going for over 30 years. Its tiny 8-watt transmitter radio accomplished more than anybody thought was even possible. So it is when we offer ourselves to serve the Lord. God can work even through somebody with 8-watt abilities. God cannot work, however, through someone who quits. Or maybe you came to church this morning feeling like you don't have much to offer God or the church or the world around you. Maybe you felt just as unimportant and impotent as an 8-watt transmitter or a bathroom nightlight. But if you focus on the finish, run the win, and refuse to let up, God will take your little 8-watt transmitter and make you a light of the world. You might not be able alone to make a difference, but God can make a difference through you. Focus on the finish, run to win, and never, never even think about letting up. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.